Open the scriptures with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, page 1694. This is our text today and for the next five weeks. We'll keep coming back to it in some ways. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're concerned with this morning. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as many of you know, as you've been reading about in your bulletin, and as you can read about in this newsletter, which was placed in your mailboxes today, and if you didn't get one, there's more at the Welcome Center. Please be sure to get one. Council, staff, and ministry leaders have been preparing for and working on a new season of ministry here at Community Christian Reformed Church. In a couple of weeks, actually September 21 to be exact, opportunity will be given for the communities and for community care groups to meet once again. And the discussions this season are going to be based on the sermons, and you'll see that we're going to go from one theme to the next to the next throughout this season, and we'll give you an update on what's happening in January. But uh, the discussions are going to be based on the sermons, and those sermons are going to be available on our brand spanking new website, which is going to be launched tomorrow. So somewhere along the line, you will see it come up on your computers, check it out. Uh, What is it? You'll you'll notice. It's in in the newsletter. I can't think of the... (laughs) I can't think of the address right now, but it'll come up, and then next Sunday, we'll get a quick and brief tutorial here as to what's going to be on uh, that new website, but the sermons are going to be there. September 21 is the same Sunday that we anticipate beginning the Sunday school program. Meanwhile, such ministries as Coffee Break, Extreme 252, Friendship, Gems, Laugh, Student Impact, and so on, already have or will once again be meeting on a regular basis. And if I forgot anything, please forgive me. Quite a number of people have worked very hard to prepare for their respective ministries. And as we begin a new season of activities and ministries, and with Pastor Darren no longer being here, All the planning fell on myself and on Pastor John for this new season, so we decided that perhaps a good place to start our preaching series for this upcoming season is to spend six weeks being reminded of of some of the basic characteristics of the church, or as John Stott put it, God's vision for his church. 
And it's important to be reminded sometimes of what this whole enterprise that we spend so much time and energy on is all about. It's important sometimes to be reminded as to why we have split into communities and why we're in those communities then meeting in smaller community care groups. It's important to be reminded why we come for worship, why we spend so much time on our ministries, on education, and so on. And so as we go through these next weeks, we're going to be touching on six characteristics as laid out in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. Study, fellowship, worship, sharing, caring, missions, and prayer. You'll find them all there, not necessarily in that order. And certainly this particular passage of Scripture from Acts 2 describes to us what the church was like at the time of the apostles, and these are some of the things that we are endeavoring to do and to be as a church even today. And so we go to the very first characteristic listed in Acts chapter 2. The very first characteristics mentioned is study. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fascinating. That's not necessarily one of the first things that we would say if we were asked to say what comes to our mind when we think of the church, at least in these days. Study. Really? Worship? Fellowship? Fun? Ministries? Yes. But study? That's precisely the thing that gets in the way for so many people who attend school. I mean, really, school can be fun for the sports and the extracurricular activities and so forth, but study? Good night. That's sometimes a hindrance to all the things that we go to school for. And now the very first thing mentioned is studying or being devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, as I was thinking about studying, as I was thinking about this idea of study, I was reminded that the room that I have in which I do my work, the room with my books and my desk, which we often refer to as an office, really traditionally has been known as a study. Pastors had a place where they put their books and where they did their study work in preparation for preaching and teaching. And so even the room in which I find myself spending a lot of time speaks to this first characteristic of the church, namely study. But what in the world is so special and so exciting about studying? The early church was devoted to it, devoted. That is to say, they purposely spent time, energy, and concentration on a particular task. It was almost like they took a vow or a solemn oath to do something, to spend time to make sure that it happened. The Christian Reformed Church has always insisted that its pastors have proper training and proper credentials before they involve themselves in teaching and in preaching, and that is certainly a good thing. I remember my father, who now has retired since 1990, but musing about his years of ministry as he retired, and, and this was precisely one of the privileges he enjoyed so much, one of the privileges that was very special and that made his task so unique. 
And he said, you know, one of the cool things about being a minister is that you actually are expected to spend time in study. And you get paid to study the Bible and to study the Word of God. I mean, that's really odd, but you get paid to do that. And I can testify, having done this for quite a number of years, that it's indeed an awesome and unique and sometimes incredibly, incredibly overwhelming task and responsibility. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul exhorts the younger Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. In other words, Timothy, as you continue in ministry, study the Word, devote yourself to it, spend time on it, know what it says, and then explain it to those who have been entrusted to your care. John Stott, writing about Pentecost and what happened in the church right after that, wrote, The Holy Spirit, we might say, opened the school in Jerusalem that day, that is Pentecost Day. The school teachers were the apostles whom Jesus appointed and trained, and there were 3,000 pupils in the kindergarten. It was a truly remarkable situation. Indeed. And the church has been busy with this business of studying and teaching and learning ever since. And so it is noteworthy that each of the ministries that we're starting up again this month has a study component to them. Each of the ministries mentioned have been ordering, uh, are going to be involving themselves in a, in a curriculum of some sort. Various materials have been ordered to provide teachers or leaders that will allow for discussion and that will allow for learning. The library. If you haven't been to our library for a while, you've got to go there. Just through that door right across the hall. Not a scary place. It's a place filled with all sorts of resources. And it's really been beefed up lately with all kinds of books. Good material for discussion and for study. Check it out. Use it. You're paying for it. <laughs> Use it. We have always considered education important from infancy on. Now, it's also true that there are some gaps in the life of this congregation at the moment. Ongoing efforts are being made to find some solutions, although some of the answers we're seeking seem to elude us, and some of the volunteers we are seeking seem to elude us as well. Just for Sunday school, for example, some 16 volunteers are needed as of yet, and we haven't even faced the catechism issue as yet. Three-year-old Sunday school is not happening because there are no volunteers at the moment. And then we haven't dealt with catechism, as I mentioned, an issue the congregation has declared very important. Remember the congregational meeting? we got to have catechism. we got to teach doctrine in the life of this church. But it's one thing to say that, but how to do that effectively is much more difficult, especially when time, and nobody has much time, and space, and we don't have much of that, and commitment, some people that's lacking, and attendance, we're not going to come because it involves a more another night and some more effort, all those are an issue. 
Yet in spite of some of the logistical or commitment problems, it's vital that we continue to be devoted to study because, oh, it is so important that we know what God's Word teaches. We believe, after all, and two of the office bearers this morning said so, two of the new office bearers, and all the other people that stood up here all agreed to this at one particular time too. We believe that the Bible is the infallible, inspired Word of God, our only rule for faith and life. We sing about it. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But if that is indeed what it is, or what it's going to be, we better know what that word says. And we better open that word. And we better devote ourselves to study. Well, why is this so important? Allow me to put before you a few statements. And let's see how you react and see what you think. Let's have the first one, if you would. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. 16,000 people gathered for a service at the Lakewood Center in Houston, Texas, recently heard these words from Victoria Osteen. This video showed up on, on YouTube, or I don't know where it came from, it's someplace. And behind it, or following it, some of you may know this, was an old clip from Bill Cosby saying, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And he was speaking to his son. The congregation in Houston applauded. What do you think? What do you think of those words? Number two. As believers, we have to understand that the material world is evil. And so as spiritual people, we have to do all we can to avoid it and stay away from it and look forward to the day when we will finally be released from this prison of matter. And because this is so, by the way, you may not be married. Uh-oh. And you cannot just eat anything. Our diets have to fall in line with the biblical dietary principles of the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 14, God told Moses certain animals were clean to eat. Those with cloven hoofs, which chewed the cud, such as cattle, goats, sheep, deer, and so forth. All fish with fins and scales and insects of the locust family were also clean. The pig, so much for pulled pork, and the camel, however, were unclean and not to be eaten. All carnivorous birds, sea creatures without fins and scales. Oh, so much for that wonderful seafood pasta. Most insects, rodents, reptiles, and so forth were unclean. This is some of what 
Paul refer to when he talked to Timothy in the passage we read earlier about some false teachers. What do you think? Look at this one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. John 1.1. Did you notice anything about that passage? It even comes from a Bible called the New World Translation. Anything wrong with that line? Some of you are nodding. There's a problem here. That's from the Jehovah Witness Bible, by the way. And the word A shouldn't be, should not be there. Well, what do you think when you hear something like that? How do you respond when you hear something like that? Look at this one. Methuselah, the oldest person in the Bible, is Noah's grandfather. He helps Noah see visions by giving him drugged tea, hands him a seed from the Garden of Eden when somehow, that somehow becomes a magical forest on the spot and can cure infertility by touching the woman's wombs. He also has a particular love for berries. He likes them a lot. And he keeps saying so. The good news, he finally eats a berry. The bad news, that's right before the flood drowns him. These are notes about the film Noah by Ben Shapiro. What do you think? How do you react? Some of you saw the film Noah. Some of you told me what you thought of it. It wasn't terribly favorable. What do you think? What about this last one? If you, can, if you dream it, you can do it. Walt Disney. What do you think? What would be your reaction? How would you respond? Thanks. Now, do any of these quotes or these points of view make you in any way feel uncomfortable? Would you be able to talk about the issues that these points raise? Are any of these statements Christian statements or things that we as a church would believe or that the Bible would teach? Would you know how to respond if someone came to you and said, this is the way it is? Would you know where to find responses in the Bible? The early church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. The early believers were not just content to receive the Holy Spirit and leave it at that. No, they sat, as, they, as it were, at the apostles' feet, said John Stott. They were eager to learn all they could. The early followers of Jesus were hungry to receive instruction. They found it necessary to know God's Word in the midst of a world that did not accept Jesus as Lord. And their fervor was such that they didn't just gather once a week on a Sunday or once a month or whenever they happened to feel like it. But they were so in need and so excited about learning more that it became a daily occurrence. It seemed like the early church lapped up the Bible and they seemed to they didn't get enough. Question is what about us in the midst of our world? that doesn't know Jesus, and that puts that kind of garbage out as truth. What did the early teaching involve? What was the content of their teaching? Oh, it was important to note that they didn't devote themselves to just any teaching, but the apostles' teaching, basically the gospel. 
That is to say, they focused on Jesus or all that was said about Jesus. As Peter preached it in Acts 2, his Pentecost sermon. And in that sermon, Peter said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, he's the focus. Paul writes, we preach Christ crucified elsewhere. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And it's impossible to preach the gospel without talking about Jesus Christ, his love, and his sacrifice. You know, everything about Jesus is summarized in Jesus' sermon as he walked with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus on Easter Sunday evening. We don't know exactly what Jesus said, but he, in Luke chapter 20, verse 27, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, what an incredible sermon that must have been. I would have loved to be there. It's probably a message that covered the entire plan of salvation. The Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah necessary because of the rebellion and the sinfulness and the darkness and the misery of the human race. And then the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus, the suffering servant who in obedience went all the way to the cross and to the depths of hell for the sake of all who believe. That very Jesus who rose again from the dead. And who was now walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And they recognized him when they sat and fellowshiped and ate together. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. Since then, the teachings of the apostles have been summarized in the words of the Apostles' Creed, a creed that forms the very basic understanding of the Christian faith. You want to know what Christians believe and what we're all about? Look at the Apostles' Creed. Timothy, said Paul, in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. He might as well have been speaking to us in 2014. Understand what they are saying. Test the spirits. Test the times. Understand the times in which you live. Understand the word of God. Be diligent in your study of it because then you can point out the errors. Then you can respond appropriately to such beliefs and such statements as we read earlier on the screen. Study the word of God. Then you won't be blown around by every wind of doctrine and just accept whatever you hear and say, sounds nice, sounds good. Sure, why not? There is truth. You know, that's an odd thing to say in this society. It doesn't really accept truth anymore. But there is truth. And it's not out there somewhere. It's in here. Open the Word. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Verse 16, Jesus is not a God. Jehovah's Witnesses would say, see, he's not God. He's not divine. And they get it from 1 John 1 in their particular version of the Bible. That's a lie. 
Your life depends on it. It becomes a matter of life and death. That's how important the gospel is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If we wish to be healthy believers and a healthy body, we must continue to open the Scriptures and be led by what we read in whatever venue or ministry we may find ourselves. Amen.